Well, hello everybody and happy Sunday. It's good to see you all. Long time no see. We have been in New Zealand, but we are back and it is so wonderful to be back. Oh my gosh, let's just talk about that for a moment. Getting back into your own home, into your own bed, it was just like, thank you, Jesus. We had the most amazing time away. We were able to spend a bunch of time pastoring people, meeting with people, doing some ministry, uh, and then obviously spending time with our whanau, our family. Uh, and it was wonderful, but we were literally staying in our family homes all around New Zealand. And so I can't remember the exact um, number of miles, Ks that we traveled, but it was a lot and a lot of kind of bouncing between houses. And so getting back and the beautiful snow, oh my gosh, I just love Canada so much. It's just like a beautiful winter wonderland. I could honestly talk about the joy the joy that we felt walking into our home and seeing the house just covered in snow. And then of course, being back with our church family on Sunday. It was just glorious, it was wonderful. So it's wonderful to be back. And we have arrived back uh, during our season of Lent, which I am absolutely loving. I hope that you're enjoying it as well. It is definitely a season for deep reflection, but we have arrived back as we have headed into Lent in the lead up to Easter. And we've had a couple of really great Sundays as we're following um, Jesus during Holy Week. And I've got a really, really creative message title for us today. Maybe you can help me out actually. Once I share it, maybe you could even put in the comments or just message me and give me a better idea for the sermon title because I really couldn't come up with anything other than the fourth day of Holy Week. That's literally the title to the message today. Um, I mean, the really great thing is it's very self-explanatory, so um, that's great. In terms of creativity, really lacking. The fourth day of Holy Week. So we've explored the first three days of Holy Week. We're now up to the fourth day of Holy Week, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to sharing this message with you. And I'm going to be sharing some scriptures, um, various scriptures that aren't really following the journey of Holy Week. And I'll explain the reason for that once I've read them out. But we're going to start off in the book of Matthew, Matthew 11, 28 to 30. And it says this, it's one of my all time favorites. I feel like that's something that preachers say a lot which they should by the way because they should have a lot of favorite verses but this verse for me this is Jesus speaking is just beautiful Matthew 11 28 to 30 it says this come to me all you who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We're going to explore a couple of other scriptures as we start off this message as well. Mark 6.31 says, Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, talking of the disciples, he said to them, Jesus speaking, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Luke 5, 15 to 16 says this, Yet the news spread about him all the more, 
so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Let's pray and then get into this message today. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be together, whether it be in person today or um, here online. We thank you for your community of believers that we can be a part of. And we thank you that together we are journeying over this 40 days of Lent. We are journeying through Holy Week as we lead up to Easter. And I just pray that you'd prepare our hearts and uh, that we would all take a moment to really uh, consider and be thoughtful of the season of Lent that we are in, really to make the most of it as we lead in to uh, the most significant moment in the Christian calendar, Easter. And so Lord, would you come, would you speak, would you be with us as we journey through these scriptures together today in Jesus' mighty name. And every person said, Amen, Amen. Like I said, we have been journeying through Lent and I have uh, really been enjoying it. I tend to be the person that loves those kind of messages that are like really challenging. You know, it kind of like makes you laugh but then punches you in the face. I like a little bit of challenge when it comes to the word and when it comes to listening to a message. Of course, I love messages that talk about the grace of God and the peace of God and the love of God. We all need these messages, but every now and then I just love a good message that's going to challenge me. And I don't know about you, but throughout this um, series, throughout Lent really, and, and even every day in devotionals and really being thoughtful of what Lent means uh, for all of us as Christians, I have felt quite challenged. And I've, so I've enjoyed Lent. I've enjoyed the series of Lent. I, I'm enjoying that sense of self-reflection, of realigning, of reprioritizing, of saying, okay, God, what do I need to get right in my life? That, that season of repentance, the beautiful gift that we have of repentance as we lead in to um, this amazing time in the Christian calendar. And we started off, we journey through Lent by journeying through Holy Week with Jesus. And the week starts off day one with Palm Sunday, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He comes in riding on a donkey, comes into Jerusalem and people throw down their cloaks and they throw down their palm, palm leaves and they sing Hosanna, Hosanna. They, they welcome him as royalty. It's, it's an incredible moment and that is the beginning of a very significant week as he rides in to Jerusalem. It's the, the biggest week. It's the most important week. It's a huge week. And he comes in and then on day two, it's like Jesus just gets to work. Jesus clearly over the next few days, he's, he's ridden in on a donkey. Um, people are throwing things down. They're singing all sorts of things. Some recognizing him as Messiah. Some recognizing him as the king of the Jews. It's, it's a big moment. But then he gets to work. Like it's very clear that over the next few days, Jesus has got something to say to the people of Israel. He, he arrives in and then he goes to the temple. And we heard that message from Levi about Jesus clearing the temple and, and saying, you've turned my house into a den of thieves, into a den of robbers. When it is supposed to be, it will be called a house of prayer. And so immediately he starts to stir things up. 
He's got something to say to the people of Israel about the way that they are behaving basically within their religion and their belief system. They are doing all of the right things, but where is their love for God? Where is their devotion to the Lord? And so he walks in and is saying, no, this is not what the temple is about. The temple will be called a house of prayer. In other words, it is a place for relationship. It's not a place for changing money. It's not a place for buying all sorts of things. This is a place for relationship. And so he, it's like he comes in and he just goes on a mission and I get it. I mean, this is his last week here. He is, he's got something to say. He's about to be crucified and he needs to get a message across to the people of Israel. And so day one, Palm Sunday, day two, clears the temple. Imagine it. He's just causing a ruckus. He's, he's, he's causing a scene wherever he goes. And then we get to day three and he's still on a roll. He is still going for it. He's walking and he sees, like what we heard from Levi last week, such a good message. Really, really good message. If you missed it, I encourage you to go back and to watch that message but about Jesus cursing the fig tree because the fig tree had leaves, but it had no fruit. In other words, doing the exact same thing. He's on a roll of saying, come on, what is, what is, what is this thing about for you? It's got to be about love and about devotion and about prayer and about relationship. It can't just be about looking the part, having all of the leaves, having the right clothes, doing the right things, paying the right amounts, doing all of the right procedures. It's got to be about relationship. I love um, Levi's quote from last week. Israel had become more concerned about outer appearance than inner authenticity. Israel had become more concerned about outer appearance appearance than inner authenticity. I love that. And that's essentially what was taking place. And that's what Jesus was getting to the heart of. He goes on from cursing the fig tree and then he starts hitting up the Pharisees about hypocrisy. I mean, he's really got a message to share. And I've enjoyed hearing these messages because for you and I, there has got to be a sense, especially during the week of Lent as we head into Easter, a sense of going, man, actually, where is hypocrisy in my life? Where is it in my life that I am playing a role and playing a part um, and not actually keeping my priorities right? Where is it that I'm saying that Jesus is my top priority, that my relationship with God is my top priority, but actually when I look on the inside, uh, you know, maybe perhaps I haven't spent any time with him. Perhaps I'm not, not making decisions based around this, this journey of discipleship. Maybe I'm saying that he's a one, but actually he's a seven. And so it's, it's important for us to go on this journey and he's clearly got something to say. And for you and I, we can um, take part, we can receive what it is that he has to say in order to get ourselves right as we head in to Easter. But then we come to day four, day four of Holy Week. And you would think this man, it's been a triumphal entry. You know, there's been a whole lot of stuff go on. He's gone into the temple. He's thrown things around. 
He's walked out, he's cursed a fig tree. Then he's looked to the Pharisees and he's talking to them about hypocrisy. He's just, he's, he's on a roll, this man. God is on a roll. Jesus is on a roll. And then we get to day four. And it's the most unusual thing. Day four of Holy Week. Because all we really know is that he was most likely still in Bethany. And Bethany is where he, he, his feet are anointed with oil. So he's most likely still in Bethany. And we also know that on this day, it's the day that Judas finally betrays Jesus to the authorities. So we know that he's kind of, kind of where he is-ish. We know kind of what's been going on. We know what Judas is up to. But we actually don't know where Jesus is. There's no record of what he actually did on the fourth day. And this is where, in terms of study of the Bible, study of the word, the term read into the silence is used. We read into the silence. In the study of scripture, we read into the silence. And when we read into the silence about saying, okay, there's no record of where Jesus was, then we read into what it was that he usually tended to do. We look throughout the Gospels and we say, okay, what were his patterns? What were his habits? What did he tend to do? And so scholars and theologians would say that based on his rhythms and patterns when we read into the silence, Jesus was most likely resting, praying, spending time with the disciples and spending time alone with the Father. Resting, praying. And that would align well with the scriptures. As we read right throughout the Gospels, there are so many examples of what it was that Jesus did on a regular basis. And so when we've got a week where the account of what he did is so clear, but then all of a sudden there's a day right in the middle of it where Jesus is nowhere to be found, we can read through these scriptures, read through his rhythms and his practices, and we can ascertain together that he was resting. Luke 5, 15 to 16 said, Yet the news spread about him all the more, we read this earlier, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed, especially when stuff was going on, was happening. Matthew 14, 23 said, after he had sent them away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Mark 1, 35 says, early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, slipped out to a solitary place to pray. Matthew 14, 13 says, when Jesus had heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Jesus didn't step away from the crowds once in a blue moon. It wasn't like this random thing that he did every now and then. He didn't wait to get to the end of his rope. After doing work, after being out there, after getting things done, he didn't wait to be at the end of his rope. Instead, he made a habit 
of withdrawing. He made a habit of getting away. He did it often. It was part of his daily routine to spend time with his father and withdraw from the crowds. This enabled him to follow through and complete the tasks that he had ahead of him. And so we come to the scripture again, this beautiful scripture in Matthew 11, 28, 30, that says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Such a beautiful um, thing to hear in the middle of this Lent season. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We, you and I, are regularly in need of rest. This life, if we allow it, wants to throw on us worries, concerns, anxiety, fears, troubles, assumption, pace, and hurry. And all of these things conflict with what it is that the Holy Spirit is wanting to grow on the inside of us. Our journey with Christ is a journey of seed time and harvest. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, God is wanting to sow seed and grow in us the fruits of the Holy Spirit. But how can we grow peace when we are filled with troubles and concerns? How can we grow patience if we continue to busy ourselves into exhaustion? We need to regularly find rest in him so that we can realign, so that we can heal, so that we can grow, so that we can nurture our souls. That's why I love so much the fact that during this very intense Holy Week, right smack bang in the middle, Jesus is nowhere to be found. Reminding us that even amidst the, the, the doing of really good work, even amidst a time of self-reflection, of repentance, like this is good stuff. This is, this is something that's really healthy to do. That even amidst all of this good God work, God wants us to rest. How good to be with him, to allow that much needed healing and nourishment to take place. I just love that. I just think it is one of the most amazing things when when we come to Holy Week to consider the fact that as we do all of this work that is so important and so holy, so godly, God still wants us to rest, to stop. Because self-reflection can be heavy. Self-reflection can be daunting. Self-reflection can be really confronting. And in the middle of it all, God doesn't just expect us to just keep being reflective and holy and repentant, just non-stop. He wants us to take a moment to stop, remind ourselves of why it is that we're doing this in the first place. And it's because of a relationship with him. Um, I love what John Mark Comer says in his uh, book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which obviously has just gone kind of worldwide global and a lot of people have read it and I think it's great because it, it is an important book. And he says, ultimately nothing in this life 
apart from God, can satisfy our desires, but tragically, we continue to chase after our desires. So human. The result? A chronic state of restlessness, or worse, angst, anger, anxiety, disillusionment, depression, all of which lead to a life of hurry, a life of busyness, overload, shopping, materialism, careerism, a life of more, which in turn makes us even more restless and the cycle spirals out of control. Like I said, I love that even in the midst of Holy Week, where God knew we would be making this season, would be turning it into a season of Lent in the calendar, he knows all things. Jesus, in the middle of it all, most likely chose to rest. That amidst this heavy time, like I said, it can be a heavy time of self-reflection. Maybe it's just me. Maybe, maybe when I look inside and I start to realign and reflect and reprioritize, it can feel pretty confronting and, and daunting and it can be heavy at times. That even in the midst of all of that, even in the midst of a good cycle, this week is a good cycle week, it's holy week. Yet even in the midst of a good cycle, let alone the fact that we find ourselves in so many unhealthy cycles, that in the midst of a good cycle, God says, stop now and rest. God values rest. God exemplified rest in the creation story. And Jesus, as we have read, exemplified rest right throughout the Gospels. It was his go-to. God values rest so much that he made the Sabbath, Sabbath day. Immediately we're all like, no, no, we've heard about that, don't talk about it, don't need to like make it a real thing. Well, we're going to talk about it. Deuteronomy 5.12 says, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has recommended to you. No, it's not what it says. As the Lord your God has suggested to you. Also not what it says. As the Lord your God has commanded you. Ooh. Oh, chill out. <laughs> Wait. Deuteronomy 5:14 it goes on to say but the seventh day is a sabbath to the Lord your God on which you must not do any work neither you nor your son or daughter nor your manservant or maidservant nor your ox like your ox come on it's just an ox nor your ox or donkey or any of your livestock nor the foreigner within your gates so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do there are no exemptions because it's created for us all. Everybody, in other words, everybody needs to have a day where they rest. Sabbath has got to be one of the commands we ignore the most. It's like, because it's too good for us, it's, too, it's like too good, we don't take it seriously. You know, like I find that when, it, when I read the Bible and there's, there's something and, and I'm sure we're all like this, it's like, don't murder. We're like, yeah, oh, for sure. Without a doubt, that's good. And then God's like, oh, don't steal, don't steal. It's a good one, for sure. Yeah, I got it. And then God's like, now rest for a whole day. And we're like, but not really though, right? Like that's not actually a serious one. 
That's like just a fluffy one on the side. I mean, it says commanded. Says we should observe it, but, but not really, right? Like, I get the murder thing. I get the thieving thing. I get all of the other things, but really? Like, rest? Take a day? It's as though it's both too good to be true, and in our day and age, it's also highly inconvenient to our plans and our schedules. It reminds me of uh, being a parent to a five-year-old girl when she's overtired. You know, she'll be like, Jovi, she'll be like, I'm not tired. I'm not tired. Because in her mind, she's got things to do, guys. She's got really important things to do. But the truth is, she's a five-year-old child. What, what, what's really so important that she is ignoring the rest that she needs? And so I, as her parent, am trying to encourage her, you need to go to sleep, you're very tired. And she'll look at me with glazed eyes, being totally unreasonable and emotions spiraling out of control. And she'll say, I'm not tired. She'll even maybe make comments like, it's unfair. And I'm standing there going, unfair? The sleep is unfair to you? It's not like I gain anything major from Jovi actually getting enough rest. I mean, she'll be not so grumpy the next day, which is super helpful. But the rest, the sleep, my thought towards her is for her. And at times, my commandment towards her is for her. But she's irrational. She's like, I've got things to do. Because five-year-olds have really important things to do. She's like, I need to dress my unicorns. I have got a mountain to make that is to be made up of stuffies. Like, these are really important things. And what you're trying to say to me about going to sleep is unfair. And it's not nice. And I just don't have time to do that because I've got really important things to do. I think if we were to scale out of our lives a little bit and get a bit of perspective, we too would realize that our push against Sabbath is actually like that of a tired five-year-old girl. We would prefer to push ourselves over the line of exhaustion to earn that extra 5k in the bank rather than Sabbath and heal and perhaps earn ourselves an extra five years of time on this earth. Sabbath rest is not a joke when it comes to God. It's not even a recommendation. And during this intense week where there are things to do, God is going to the cross, Jesus is going to the cross. Still, Jesus finds time to stop and to rest. And just like a five-year-old needs more sleep, so every human needs Sabbath. Mark 2, 23 to 27 says, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? I, and, oh man, you would have missed it last week at church. But in this moment, I've never thought of this, but Levi, he was, I'm going to try and like do what he did and I'm, I'm going to do a terrible job of it, but I just have to share it with you because it's so funny. 
in this moment, you know, Jesus is walking with his disciples and his disciples kind of grab some heads of grain because they're hungry. The dudes are hungry. They've been working. They're just getting a, a little bite to eat. And it says the Pharisees said to him, look, and <laughs> Levi was like, where did they come from? Did they like jump out of the grain fields? You know, the Pharisees just like waiting, like sitting in the grain, like jump out. Look, <laughs> why do you do what is unlawful? I just think that is so funny. Maybe it's just me. But I've been laughing about that uh, for the last week. Anyway, Jesus answered them. <laughs> Look, and then Jesus was like, I would have loved for Jesus to be like, where did you come from? Have you been sitting there crouched in the fields? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, I'm so sorry. He says to them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. In other words, he was breaking the rules. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, and this is kind of what we've been talking about, about the fact that, that it's not about um, simply the practices, it's about the motivation behind the practices. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. All of that to say it was made for us, not us for it. God made us and thought, you know what? These guys are going to need a day of rest. And so I will make the Sabbath. And like a good parent, he knew that if we called out and said, you know, if he calls out and says, hey, it's bedtime, time to go to bed, we would say, I've got really important things to do, like dress unicorns. And so then he would have to say, no, I command you to Sabbath. The Sabbath is all a part of the rest and healing that we find in Jesus. The Sabbath is one of the best invitations we've all received, and yet it's the most declined invitation it's like we get we get it it comes in the mail oh look i've been invited to sabbath but i actually have unicorns to dress and i have stuffy mountains to build and so i shall decline we it's too good to be true it's highly inconvenient in our minds it's unreasonable uh, if, if you're anything like me, before I started to Sabbath, I was like, that's really unreasonable of God to ask. And it's like he's not asking it of us. He's made it for us. And once you switch your mindset and you experience the goodness of Sabbath, even in the midst of how busy we may be, and I get it, life gets really busy. How do we find time to Sabbath? And we'll talk about that in a second. Jesus was often healing on the Sabbath. Quite often during the Sabbath, he would heal someone. And I think there's something in that. There's got to be something in that repetitive action, healing taking place on the Sabbath. On a study done with a Seventh-day Adventist in California. Sorry, I'm just going to quickly, I just realized my computer is um, not on mute. There we go. Um, on a study done with Seventh-day Adventists in California, scientists pointed out that the Adventists, Seventh-day Adventists, they practiced the Sabbath religiously, um, that the Sabbath was one of the reasons for their good health. Huh. 
crazy. An earlier study found that Adventists lived for up to 10 years longer than the average Californian. Quick maths, I'm not a mathematician, but quick maths, let's say the average Californian lives to 70. 52 Sabbath days times 70 years equals 3,640 days. 3,640 days divided by a year, 365 days, equals 9.9 years. And they just so happen to live up to 10 years longer. An argument can be made that Sabbath gives you time. As we make time for the Sabbath, so the Sabbath makes time for us, literally. There is another professor currently working on a study measuring stress hormone levels after and before and after the Sabbath. And the most interesting thing to him about the, the plethora of study that he's done at the moment is a study showing fewer deaths during Shabbat in Israel. The Sabbath is the most beautiful solution to some of our most urgent problems. I'll say that again. The Sabbath is the most beautiful solution to some of our most urgent problems. As I mentioned before, life can be filled with worry for the future, with anxiety about current situations we are facing, and an unhealthy desire for more. We live in a consumer-driven um, society. More stuff, more money, more opportunities, better jobs, better homes, better cars, more kids, less kids. What we have is never quite right. There has grown in us an insatiable desire for more that leads us to be filled with worry and anxiety and this deep sense of dissatisfaction. And so the cycle, which we've been talking about, the cycle continues because we haven't taken time to disconnect. And yet here in Holy Week, in the cycle of the seven days, Jesus still takes time to disconnect. As we want for more, we get more. Then we want more, not realizing that more is never enough. And so never escaping the anxiety it causes in our hearts and in our minds, leaving our bodies and our spirits depleted of that which only you and I both know. We know it, and yet we don't know it. <laughs> leaving our, spory, our spirits depleted of that which only the eternal can satisfy. And then there's Jesus. There's rest. There's Sabbath, there's healing, there's perspective, there's a stop moment, there's a disconnect opportunity that we have from the unhealthy cycles we find ourselves in. The Sabbath is the most beautiful solution to some of our most urgent problems. And by the way, it's not a day off. It's not just like, I've got a day off work. It's so much more than that. Eugene Peterson, um, in his book, Working the Angles, The Shape of Pastoral Integrity, talks about Sabbath and he says, uncluttered time and space to distance ourselves from the frenzy of our own activities so we can see what God has been doing and is doing. If we do not regularly quit work for one day a week, we take ourselves far too seriously. 
The moral sweat pouring off our brows blinds us to the primal action of God in and around us. Practically, I know for many of us, we just don't know how we could find the time. My encouragement to you is just start with something. Start somewhere. I get it. Life can seem to be really busy. But take an audit of your week. Figure out where you are spending that lost time. And rather than just kind of haphazardly letting it fall to the wayside and doing random stuff, whatever it might be, Netflix, social media, sitting around, you know, I'm not sure, gossiping. Rather than doing things that probably won't be giving a lot of life to your soul, start to audit your week and start somewhere. Start with something so that you can find rest for your soul, so that you can heal, so that you can be healthy. Even in the middle of a week where you might feel like you and the, your relationship with God, you guys are on fire. You've been reading your Bible every week. You've been doing all of the right things. Our example for us during Holy Week is that Jesus still rested. Even when life looks super holy and super discipleship driven, we still need to find Sabbath. I know some people who begin Sabbath on a Friday evening. After work, they get home, kind of prepare themselves, make sure that food's all there for the next 24 hours. Um, basically don't do a lot of cleaning, a lot of anything. They get home and then they prepare their meal. They have their meal together. Uh, no cell phones, no work, no social media. They might watch a movie together. Then the next day they'll have Sabbath breakfast in the morning. And if, if it brings you joy to have people with you, you could invite people along. They could come and be a part of it with you. The whole point is that you find space to breathe. You find space to do the things that you love. You find space to delight in God. I know people who use their entire Saturday to Sabbath. Find what works for you. You might even want to do special things to mark the Sabbath. For us and our family, we like to um, start the day off by lighting a Sabbath candle. So I go and I get a nice candle, costs $3 every week, and we have a candle there to light. And as we light it, one of the kids, usually Hugo or Jovi, will talk about what that light represents to us. That the light of the Sabbath represents to us the light of Christ that we can find every single day in our lives. That no matter how dark life might get, no matter how busy life might get, no matter what cycle we might find ourselves in, there is a light. And so we'll talk about that and that Sabbath candle will remain lit for the entire Sabbath day. I'll make sure that we've got um, our favorite red wine. It's usually bread and butter of some sort. Bread and butter is a wine. Um, I understand if you got confused for a moment. Uh, I go and get our favorite bread and butter wine. I like to try and make, I don't succeed every Sabbath. Sometimes um, Levi's kind enough to make a big, beautiful meal on Sabbath. He's actually a great cook and actually cooks quite regularly. I say like kind enough. It's like, he's not kind enough. Sometimes Levi cooks, sometimes I cook. But I like to try and make sure that we have a really nice, big, beautiful meal. During the day, Levi and I will just drink coffee, 
read books, we'll have naps, we'll just chill, just kind of do whatever it is brings us joy and fuel. And we delight in God. We delight in his goodness. We are refreshed in seeing what it is that he has been doing in our world rather than focusing on what we have been doing in our world. Like Eugene Peterson said, it's a chance for us to see what he's done and see what he is still doing. It's a moment to delight. It's a day to delight in him. And as you delight in him, you get perspective. He brings healing. He brings strength to your bones, to your physical body. And it's a day where suddenly you are ready to go on and do the work, to go on and live life. We delight in God. We reflect on what God has been doing. It's a day for joy. I even make sure <laughs> I've got a habit of getting myself stuck in really sad stories. I'm an empath and so I tend to see something on social media and it will be like this person's in need and then I go on a whole scrolling journey and then I get super sad and I'm like, oh my gosh, the world needs Jesus and we need to go and do more for people. And it's just a cycle, another cycle that I find myself in. And so on these days, I try to make sure that's something I don't do. I avoid sad stories because I want to find joy in the Lord. We may not get to have an easy life. The Bible is clear about that. That life won't always be easy. There will be trials and challenges. Trials of many kinds, the Bible says. We may not get to have an easy life. But Jesus promises us the gift of an easy yoke. We may not get to have an easy life, but Jesus promises us the gift of an easy yoke when we come and when we find rest in him. In the middle of the cycles we all find ourselves in, careerism, materialism, anxiety, stress, maybe even this beautiful cycle of Holy Week, of Lent, there's the opportunity God presents to us to lay down our burdens, to connect into God's eternal vine, to rest, heal, delight in Him, and find peace, contentment, and strength for the journey ahead, just as Jesus found strength for His journey ahead of Him. And as we journey through Lent, as we prepare our hearts for Easter, as we are thoughtful of our relationship with Christ, as we reflect on the sin in our lives, as we realign, as we repent, we must also rest. It's a beautiful invitation from the Lord. And I pray, my prayer is that together we would be a community of people who stop declining that beautiful invitation that God has given us. And so this week, make it your mission. Put it in your diary to find time to rest. And don't feel bad about it. Perhaps you feel lazy in that rest. Well, sit with that emotion and ask yourself why you feel that way. Perhaps God will bring healing in an area of your life where you have felt the need to perform and to even work in your faith. Allow God to speak truth into that area so that you can receive the gift of rest. As we journey through Lent, 
I pray that uh, we would all enjoy this time together. Uh, we're preparing for Easter. It's a beautiful season. But we cannot forget to rest. Find some rest this week. Find some rest every day of the week. And do your very best to consider Sabbath. Figure out when in your calendar it can work to regularly have a day to delight in the Lord. I'm going to pray and then I'm just going to open up um, an invitation for people who might not have a relationship with the Lord. But let's pray together. God, we thank you for um, this example of, of Holy Week and what took place in Holy Week and all of the things that we can learn as uh, disciples, as followers of Jesus. And we thank you for the fourth day, the fourth day of Holy Week. We thank you for the invitation that you have for all of us to rest. And Father, I just pray that you would speak in only the way that you can to each and every one of us, um, to help us and to encourage us to accept that invitation that you have given us and to be thoughtful of the commandment that you have given us of rest, of Sabbath. And we thank you that your burden is light and that your yoke is easy, that even though life might not be easy, your yoke is coming alongside with you, living life with you, that you make things easy. And so God, we thank you for that. Right now, um, you know, I just want to give an opportunity to anyone who might be tuning in today and you're saying, Nadia, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Uh, I mentioned it earlier on in the message, but it's pretty amazing to think that this is the day, this fourth day, where Jesus goes and he finds rest and he's with the Lord. It is the day that Judas, one of his disciples, betrays him, sells him out, and they get to the Last Supper and Jesus knows he... He knows what's taken place, and yet really this entire week is a week of forgiveness. It's a week leading up to the crucifixion of Christ, to the giving of his life so that we may receive life. And it's powerful to think that he had forgiven Judas, that on the day where Judas is betraying him, Jesus is resting, getting that time that he needs in the lead up to forgiveness for all people. And it's a time for us to reflect on the fact that those who betrayed Jesus, Jesus still forgave. And you and I have this incredible opportunity, you have this incredible opportunity if you haven't accepted that forgiveness of Jesus yet, to receive that forgiveness that he died on the cross for. This whole season of Lent really is in the lead up to Easter, where we celebrate what it is the price that was paid, the gift that Christ gave us of salvation, of, of healing, of forgiveness of our sins. And so if that's you today and you're saying, Nadia, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I want to have a relationship with Jesus, then together you and I can pray a prayer. I'm going to say a line of a prayer and I encourage you to repeat the line of the prayer and really mean it from your heart. And then from there, I encourage you to reach out, let one of our hosts know that you've made that decision. Um, send us an email, info at localchurch.co, to let us know uh, about the decision that you have made so that we can journey with you, so that we can walk with you. We have a discipleship journey that we 
have in our church. It's called Walk, and it's so that we can walk with you on your discipleship journey with Christ, because this is the beginning, but it's certainly not the end. There is so much fullness of life when it comes to living a life with Jesus. And so let's pray this prayer together. If that's you today, uh, why don't you close your eyes and we'll pray this prayer together. It goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you did for me on the cross, for the salvation that was purchased for me. I thank you that you gave your life for me. And today I come to you and I ask, would you forgive me of my sin? Would you wash me clean and make me new as your word says you do? In Jesus' mighty name. And every person said, Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining in today for this message. I pray that it blesses you and has blessed you. And uh, make sure that you tune in next week for week five, day five of Holy Week. And I'm not sure what week we're in for Lent. I guess we're in week five, day five, week five. Uh, not sure of the exact day of the 40 days of Lent, but it's going to be a wonderful Sunday. So I encourage you to make sure that you tune in for that. For anyone who made a decision, make sure you just take those next steps so that we can walk with you on your discipleship journey. We'll see you next week.